Hey folks, we've been doing this podcast for over two years now and uh, you probably don't know, but we're on Patreon. That's right. If you head to our Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com forward slash B-I-G-W-B-A-S-C, you can check out all the different tiers we have. That's right. And uh, as well as our general tiers, we actually have special tiers for potential show sponsors and content creators. So if you want to share your goods or services or anything awesome you're doing, there's special tiers just for you. That's right. And uh, if you wanted to support us, you can chuck in a dollar a month to the human fund, money for people i.e. us and uh that will continue helping us do what we do which is talk about the secondary characters from seinfeld each week that's right yeah uh so if you are a supporter thank you and if you've thought about it thank you and uh if you want to support us thank you yes patreon.com forward slash b-i-d-w-b-a-s-c happy podcasting blast There's no way I can handle eight in addition to my usual load of one. (laughs) I'll never get to Hawaii. I'll be stuck in this apartment building forever. The dream is dead. You giving up that easy? I usually do. (laughs) See ya. Now, wait a minute, Newman. You can't let this dream die. You moving away is my dream, too. (laughs) What are you proposing? Whatever it takes, for as long as it takes me. Wherever it takes me, as long as it takes you away from me. An alliance? An alliance. (laughs) Now get the hell out of here. But I don't want to be a secondary character. Hello and welcome to another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. This is a podcast about the greatest sitcom of all time and it's a bit different to your usual podcasts. We talk about the secondary characters episode by episode in random order and come up with some hypothetical situations or backgrounds of them. My name's Ivan. And I'm Stephen. And this week we're going to season eight and we're talking about the Andrea Doria, which I found Stephen was a really funny episode. Yeah, no, an underrated episode and one that I kind of forgot about, but uh, glad that we're doing it yeah man and I, I love my favorite scene in that episode is probably george um you know talking to the tenants board and he's going through all those stories you know their throwbacks to previous episodes i love how it's shot it's just so well edited it's got like the shot of george on the side and he's talking he's saying one story and then the next shot is him at the front it kind of fades into the next shot and then it cuts to the tenants board and they're slowly crying yeah. yeah, how the camera pans over each member. I love that. I think it's very well shot. Yeah, it's edited for dramatic effect. Absolutely. Yeah, really well done. You can find us on social media at B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. Want to drop us an email? Why the hell not? Podcast at gmail.com. And Stephen, we're on Patreon. Yes, we are. Patreon.com forward slash B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. And if you want to become a patron, you can chip in a few bucks per month for exclusive content. And uh, finally, you can check us out on any podcast service. And if you want to rate us or review us or subscribe to us, that would be really, really awesome. Yeah. And um, speaking of Patreon, we'd like to welcome our latest $2 a month patron. Her name is Holly. How you doing, Holly? Thank you for uh, signing up and pledging $2 a month. Uh, Holly, as well as our other patrons, uh, Tim as well as Brandon, <laughs> almost forgot there, uh, they get bonus content, bonus episodes, that sort of thing. So uh, check it out and uh, see what you think. Um, today, Steve and I have notes on Clarence Eldridge, the Andrew Doria survivor, uh, Mrs. Riccardi, as well as Alan Mercer, who's uh, Elaine's episode boyfriend. He's a bit of a, a bit of an asshole. And I've got some notes on Smuckers the dog. 
The coughing dog. Yeah, I have notes on Alan Mercer, Clarence, and Mrs. Riccardi, and uh, I don't have notes on the dog, but I'm sure I'll chip in a few useless comments. <laughs> yes. Because I do love dogs. Yeah, we can talk about his acting career and where he's at these days, you know, his Broadway days and that sort of thing. That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. Really nice, indeed. He's hit a rough patch. <laughs> he's hit a rough patch, yes. Uh, then we'll find out later if the episode is in our greatest of all time and if any of the secondaries make it, as we normally do. And uh, we got a bit of listener mail at the end of the episode, uh, also by Holly, who's our latest patron as well. Uh, very nice words which we're looking forward to talking about now Steve as we do every week let's start off with some Seinfeld isms so what do you have this week Uh, so it happened today Uh, Kaylee my partner and I were having a conversation over lunch and we were referring to a sexual act I won't go into detail because it's a bit too personal but uh, purely by accident we were referring to it in a very roundabout way a la Uh the contest and uh, other Seinfeld episodes where they mention a very specific act, but they actually never mention it specifically. Were there any references to the move or was there a, a swirl? Anything like that? <laughs> no. None no, of those kind of things? Like I said, I'm not getting into specifics. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I thought that was a cool Seinfeldism. What so, about you? Oh, for me, actually, I knew you'd probably enjoy this one. Um, I was in Adelaide for the long weekend to see, um, because it was my partner and I, uh, we saw their um, Janina's grandparents. Uh, Janina's grandmother, her name is Elaine. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. Nice. I thought it was good. I like that one. Did yeah. you know that ahead of time? Uh, actually, I didn't. Uh, I'm sure she told me her name in the past, but it's the first time I've met them. Right. I was going to push Janina and say, get out. But no, I didn't eventuate. <laughs> no. Yeah, maybe don't push anyone. We don't condone violence here at People Busk. No, nah, absolutely not. Anyway, I thought you'd like that one. I do. <laughs> Excellent. Seinfeld News, what have you got this week, mate? Uh, yeah, so two this week. So Jason Alexander, and congratulations to him, he's been inducted into the New Jersey Hall of Fame. Oh, what did he uh, do to earn that? Just, he's a prominent New Jerseyan. Okay. I think he was born in New Jersey? I think he was, yes. Yeah. Yes. The three nominees, are Jason Alexander, Southside Johnny, Shit and Leon, and uh, Ann Donovan were announced at a ceremony by the, uh, the governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, uh, at a ceremony last Monday at uh, Newark's airport, um, Liberty International Airport. Okay, great. Yeah. Excellent. So, yeah, pretty cool. Good on you, Jason. Yes. And in the second and final bit of Seinfeld news, uh, Jerry Seinfeld sat down with Closer Weekly to discuss the secrets to the success of his 20-year marriage. Uh, He cites the main source of that success as comedy. He said uh, from the day he met her, his wife, Jessica, um, comedy was their connection. And uh, he also went on to say that they always have fun, they always laugh, and she's got a great sense of humor. She's very quick, sarcastic. And all the uh, and and all the qualities that I like. She's very sharp. She catches all the wrongness. So she's kind of like Jerry. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. they're kind of the same in a way. Yeah, they uh, probably complement each other. And they have three children. They do. That. They do. And I actually saw. Um, I, I'm sure it's not part of your Seinfeld news, but I think his youngest daughter uh, was going to graduate or went to prom or something. Yeah, she's around 18, so yeah, I think she's that at that age. Yeah, and there were photos of Jerry and Jessica with their daughter. I forgot the name of the youngest daughter. Okay. But yeah, she was with her prom date, and uh, she was going to the prom. Right. That was awesome. Well, in this interview, actually, he did mention something about not wanting to become one of those parents who, or fathers especially, who um, pretends to be, you know, indifferent and sort of (laughs) aggressive towards um, potential suitors towards their daughter. No, I'd hope not. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I think that's just a bit of an old school dumb thing that needs to go in the bin. Yeah, he can put the shotgun away. Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't need it. Even if Jerry was angry, I couldn't take him seriously. Even if I was an 18-year-old dweeb a bit nervous about meeting my girlfriend's dad, if Jerry was angry at me, I'd be like... You're Jerry Seinfeld. What are you going to do? I could just imagine him saying, <laughs> make sure you use protection. Oh. Yeah. I could just imagine he'd be one of those kind of dads. Yeah. yeah <laughs> if it's sure. not on, it's not on, okay? 
<laughs> He'd be a bit more roundabout, though. Oh, he sure would, yeah. Swings and roundabouts. That's it. Indeed. That's all the Seinfeld news for the week. Excellent. Let's take a quick break, Stephen, and when we come back, we'll talk about some secondary characters from Season 8, Episode 10, The Andrea Doria. Hi, this is Zach. And Aaron from Seinfeld Law. And uh, you are listening to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. Are you looking for a brand new conversation podcast? Well... You found it. My name's Ivan Pugioni, and in my relaunched podcast in Melbourne last week, I speak to everyday people who do extraordinary things. When you go into the the inner workings of the story, you know, when you get into the nuts and bolts of stuff, even if you're going to have a story about escapism, you, you want the reader to easily relate to things. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much wherever else you can get your podcasts. We're talking about the Season 8 episode, The Andrea Doria, which was an actual real-life shipwreck, Stephen. I thought they were kidding. And I Googled it, and it's actually real. Yeah, I... I um, <laughs> but Seinfeld does have a tendency to use real-life things, um, you know, even if they sort of embellish them or make fun of them. They uh, they rarely make up historical events for the sake of their episode. So it doesn't surprise... <laughs> it, I guess it surprised me because I'd never heard of it, but it doesn't surprise me because Seinfeld used real-life things. <laughs> Maybe. But anyway, I'll open up my book called Astonishing Tales of the Sea, and I'll read you a passage from it. It is the plot synopsis of the Andrea Doria. First aired in the US on December 19, 1996, directed by Andy Ackerman, written by Spike Ferriston. Oh, this is one of his only episodes that he wrote. Uh, George, he's excited about the new apartment he's going to move into. Elaine is on a blind date, now called a setup, because Jerry says we don't want to upset the blind or associate the blind with idiots. Uh, Jerry takes Kramer to his self-storage, where they discover that Newman has been hiding bags of mail. Is it? But it's illegal. Is it legal to take someone's soul? Um, George, a man's soul. Uh, George finds out that he can't get his apartment because the tenant association is going to give it to an SS Andrea Doria survivor named Clarence Eldridge, played by Ray Strickland. Elaine is told her date won't be making it because he's been stabbed. <gasps> he's been stabbed? Kramer's cough is getting worse and he's not going to the doctor because they botched his vasectomy in the soulmate and now he's more potent than ever. Jerry tries to get Newman to get rid of the mail, however he's not interested because he didn't get the transfer to Hawaii, the most sought after route for all postmen. Kramer finds a dog with a cough named Smuckers and he takes him to the vet so he can get medicine for the cough. Elaine meets her blind date, Alan Mercer, played by Tom Gallup, uh, who gets coffee thrown in his face from another ex-girlfriend. She discovers his problem is that he is a bad breaker upper. George confronts his rival for the apartment and decides to wage war. As Elaine breaks up with her blind date, he calls her a big head. From a suggestion by Jerry, George asks for a hearing with the association and tells him the story of his life. Jerry forms an alliance with Newman that will hopefully get him out of his life forever. Jerry tries to get Kramer to take his medication. And I love, Stephen, how there's a bit of a moment of solidarity when they're shaking hands and Newman smiles and Jerry kind of grimaces and then within half a second Jerry goes get the hell out of here yeah it was just a short-lived alliance yeah. loved it yeah. he discovers that Kramer is taking dog medication and, the, and is beginning to exhibit the signs of being a dog the big head comment begins to hold true for Elaine when a cab driver Ozzy Ma and a passerby played by Fred Pinkard remark on it and she decide to meet again with her blind date to show him she doesn't care about his comment or to jam a fork in his forehead whatever Jerry tries to take Kramer to a real doctor but he runs away Kramer Kramer bites Newman's ankle. Jerry offers to deliver the rest of the mail, hoping to help Newman get his sought-after transfer, which is in our joint interests. 
as he tells Newman. Newman doesn't get the transfer, as the post office finds out that he wa- uh, Newman wasn't delivering the mail himself because too many people got a hold of their mail. Elaine meets up with her blind date and makes good on her promise, after the man says that she has a bump on her nose to match her big head. Kramer saves the day. George tells his multiple misfortunes, which makes the committee cry, and he seems to be winning the case, but then Elaine's blind date, who she gets or who she stabbed, gets the apartment instead. I gave 50 bucks to the super. That's how we got it. Uh, he got it, not because he was stabbed, but because he bribed the super, like I mentioned. When George confronts him over this, the blind date calls him chinless. And I love when George, you know, pushes down and he's feeling for his feeling chin. Feeling for his chin, yes. And the episode ends with George rubbing his chin and looking perturbed. Oh, boy, these season eight synopses, man, they get me every time. Yeah. So much to talk about. Very convoluted. Yeah. Other secondaries include Diana Bellamy. She plays Mrs. Riccardi, who is part of the tenants' board. Uh, Rick Hall plays the vet, who treats smuckers and Kramer. Frank and Estelle Costanza make an appearance in the episode. Uh, Carl Banks and Barry Cutler play the policeman in the last scene with Kramer. Kevin Steinberg plays the waiter. Uh, Renee Ashton plays Alan's ex-girlfriend who pours coffee on Alan's face. Brian Blondell is Smucker's owner. Uh, Teresa Mulligan plays a woman, but I forgot which one she was. And uh, Florinelle Fatulesco is the stand owner. After all that, man, do you have any trivia for the episode? Uh, I've got a few. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, so, first of all, when Jerry says, I'm home, in my home, my home, Elaine, where I sleep, where I come to play with my toys, he's referencing dialogue from The Godfather Part 2, uh, where Mike Corleone says, in my home, in my bedroom, where my wife sleeps, where my children come to play with their toys. Yes. Yes. A nice reference there. Yeah. <laughs> nice one. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Like, I, I looked at it and I said, that line looks familiar. And yeah. Then I Googled it and it was The Godfather too. indeed. Like I mentioned before, Steve, I didn't think the Andrea Doria was a real uh, shipwreck. I thought it was a fictional thing. But the SS Andrea Dora was an ocean liner, uh, an Italian one, actually, um, home ported in Genoa in Italy. Uh, it was most famous for its sinking in 1956 when uh, actually 46 people were killed. They said in the show about 50-odd. I think uh, he says 51. 51. Is that it? What's well, a normal cruise? 30? 40? <laughs> uh, and it's considered one of the worst maritime disasters on US waters since 1915, and it was named after the 16th century Genoese Admiral Andrea Dora. And the ship had a gross register tonnage of 29,100 and a capacity of about 1,200 passengers and 500 crew. And it took its maiden voyage or undertook it on the 14th of Jan, 1953. I love how Kramer just chimes in with all the facts. <laughs> He's sitting there eating and he goes, the Andrew Dory crashed 12 miles off the coast of Nantucket <laughs> in 1954. You know, whatever it is. Yeah, and, and they're like, and how they're do you know like, that? And then he says, it's in my book, Astonishing Tales of the Sea. And this leads into my next trivia fact. Um, this implies that Kramer was or is a book author, a profession that he's never disclosed before. And do you notice how George actually has the book in his hands, that red book? Because he says, can I borrow the book from Kramer? Oh, I didn't notice that. There you go. So Kramer is a publisher. Okay. I only author. watched the episode once, so I ah, didn't, didn't uh, take note of those little details. Yeah, but it's implied that Kramer's a published author. Yeah. There you go. Is this before the coffee table book? Yeah. Oh, no, it's after season eight. Yeah. So yeah. he already is a published author. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but probably it was more uh, successful than the coffee table book. I guess, could you say that, I mean, he's technically the author of a coffee table book, but would you call him a writer? Mm-hmm. It's just a book full of pictures of coffee tables probably you know unless he wrote like a little blurb for each one or something it's it's more of a compilation of pictures than a book okay so astonishing tales of the sea is like his best work well i (laughs) I guess it would be the work that you would call him like would make him a writer as opposed to just a compiler (laughs) fair enough you know of pictures 
Uh, I don't have any more trivia. Do you? Uh, well, the only one that I have left uh, is that George talked to the association about his life story, and he references several previous episodes. Uh, he references the subway from season three, as well as the limo from the same season. Season five's the Hamptons. Season seven's the Rye and the Invitations. Yep. Yeah. No, it was good him recounting all those stories. Yeah, it was good. Oh, and also, my fiance died from licking toxic envelopes that I picked out. And I love how that's the one which um, Mrs. Riccardi cries over. Like, yeah. That's the one where she just cracks it. But oh. the fact that he just nonchalantly adds that at the end yeah. as the cherry on top, whether that was a deliberate thing of just like, I'm going to set them up and just knock them the fuck down with mm. the worst one, or whether it's him just forgetting about it until the very end, I think it just perfectly represents his... Like the fact that he doesn't give a fuck about Susan in any way, or the fact that she died. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. oh, by the way, my my fiance died, which yeah. is by far the most tragic story in anyone's life. And yeah, yeah, you know, but and he just adds that at the end as like a little cherry. Yep. And uh, even yeah. after he's he's uh, persuaded the tenants board, even Clarence knows that he won't get the apartment. His yeah. head goes into his hands. Yep. So good. Anyway, speaking of Clarence, let's talk about him. Yeah. Sure. Played by Ray Strickland with a career spanning over forty years, he's appeared in the films Young Jesse James and Ten North. Frederick, where he was nominated for a Golden Globe in 1959 for the latter film, for Best Newcomer. Uh, and he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor again in 1961 for The Plunderers. Uh, his role as Clarence was the penultimate one in, in his career. Uh, his last performance was in an episode of The Nanny in 1998, and he passed away in 20, uh, 2002, rather, in LA, age 73. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so... Clarence doesn't have many lines, but obviously he's a survivor of the Andrea Doria. He still holds, I'd imagine, some PTSD, you know, going through that, jumping off a sinking ship and going into a lifeboat and seeing, most likely seeing other people perish. It definitely takes a toll on you. Yeah, I mean, it would cause some undue suffering. But uh, Clarence seems like the sort of person that he would bring it up whenever it's advantageous to him. I, I don't think he would just go around being like, hey, guess what? I'm a survivor. But if he can crowbar it into a situation to get some leverage out of it, yeah, yeah. I think he wouldn't, you know, even if it's not relevant, but if he thinks, if I can bring up my survivor story, I might be able to get something out of this. I think he's a bit of an opportunist with the with that story. At first, like I agree with you there. At first, I thought maybe he was doing it unintentionally. He was saying, look, I'm a survivor. I don't, I'm not trying to get leverage from it. But as you mentioned that, I think he was trying to get leverage. And I, I think it's hilarious how the fact that George's life is so fucked and there's been so many bad things or so many terrible things that he's done and all that kind of stuff that eclipses a shipwreck yeah. or a ship sinking like the people died people lost their lives and and Clarence was one of the survivors but the fact that George's life was so tepid and so uh, not tepid but it was just so I don't know it's just unspeakably monstr- monstrous yeah. <laughs> that 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 is worse than a sinking ship well, I think that's I mean, the joke, though. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you just look at it objectively, Clarence's situation is horrible. But like, he he, he was one of wasn't there like sixteen hundred survivors and yeah, sixteen sixty. Yeah, Kramer. Yeah, and like he may not have ever been in any sort of danger. You know, he he probably saw some stuff and just the situation of maybe I'm going to die in this horrible way is is going to affect you forever. But in terms of like traumatic events uh disasters where people can die i feel like his situation is sort of is sort of at the least worst end of the spectrum if that makes sense you know like it's it's all horrible no one deserves to have that but there's a spectrum of 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 of, i guess traumatic experience and i feel like his is at the lower end of impact (laughs) so when you compare it to george or probably a lot of other survivors of all sorts of horrible things 
I don't think it's as I don't think it's as it's as bad as others. Right. You know, it's not a competition, but I just feel like if you're going to weigh it up against something, his is probably on the tamer end. Maybe. So yeah. So if he was on the Titanic, he would have been on the upper decks, and he would have been a woman, and he would have been first on the lifeboats. Yeah. That would have been a similar thing. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> that's. I'm just saying that's how lucky he was. He just happened to get on the ship, and the unfortunate souls who did perish uh, from the collision from with uh, the SS Stockholm, unfortunately, uh, passed away. And yeah, he he got out early. Well, that was a problem on the Titanic. The fact that there wasn't enough live ships. Yeah, that's and, true. And that changed pol- naval policy. Oh, sorry, not uh, uh, Na- maritime policy yeah, forever. Yeah, 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 that's right. You know. So, yeah, I just I just feel like Clarence is playing it up a bit and he probably embellishes a bit here and there just yeah, to yeah, get right. some favourable outcomes, like a better apartment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but compared to George, he's got nothing. He's got nothing. You know, even, nothing. even if his whole family perished and he, what, and he, you know, they froze in his hands and, you know, he, he watched all of his friends and, and family die, I don't think that would compare to George's <laughs> fucking train wreck of a life. So he's a bit like a George. Clarence, uh, but like a George Light. Oh no, no, I don't think he's a bad person. George is an awful person, oh, of course, and all the yeah. shit that happens around him is because he's a garbage person. Absolutely, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Like that's <laughs> that's what that's a that's a that's a rule of the universe. But I don't think Clarence is a bad person. I just think, like a lot of people, and we're all guilty of it. I just think we, you know, if if we see something that works to our advantage, we'll probably use that advantage you know yeah um, and, and obviously the tenants board well especially the super didn't even care because after after clarence's story and after george's testimonial as well apparently that wasn't enough money talked yeah and then uh, alan ended up getting the apartment for 50 bucks so after all those all that stuff that clarence and george went through it meant nothing yeah in the end 50 and, bucks is worth more than someone's pain and misery yeah absolutely anyway mrs riccardi oh do, actually do you have anything else on him no not really no. um I mean, I kind of feel sorry for Clarence. I don't know. I have mixed feelings. Like I, like I said, I'm assuming he's a bit of an opportunist, and you know that that's maybe not the best thing to be in, yeah. in situations where you're uh, manipulating people based on something that's uh, you know a horrible part of your past. But at the same time, um, I felt sorry for him when George, rather than just respect the decision. And let him have his apartment. The fact that George uses his own tragedy to like win at being the worst <laughs> affected person in life. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's yeah, it's it it provides all sorts of mixed feelings. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. And I was going to say on the ship because uh, let's assume that he was seventy three when he passed away in two thousand and two. So let's say he was in his mid sixties, late sixties uh, during the episode. Yeah. the actual actor Ray, um, and his character I assume was probably in his sixties. So mm-hmm. I think it happened in what nineteen fifty something. There's the, there's the so the episode door. aired in ninety seven. Uh, ninety seven. Yeah, and I think he died in two thousand two. Ninety six. Sorry, late late ninety six. So he was what seventy two when he died. Seventy three. Seventy three. So he was born in nineteen uh, twenty nine. Yeah. Um, and, and in nineteen fifty six was the sinking. Nineteen. So he would have been twenty seven. Probably twenty seven. Do you think? Well, do you think he had a young family? Like, how do you think he travelled? Maybe he had a family and they survived too. Yeah, I mean, having a family at twenty seven in in that time was pretty normal. So yeah, I'm guessing so. Yeah, okay, um, a couple of kids maybe. Yeah, I mean, either way, what I'm sure he wasn't travelling alone. Okay, and I'm sure enough. you know it affected his family or whoever he was with in some way, whether they perished or were injured or just suffered trauma like he did. Because you said that he would use that line even if his family died, he'd still use that as an opportunity to get what he wants. I think so. Is he that bad? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Uh, not as... I don't think he would do it as uh, openly and consistently as, say, someone like George would. No, 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 no. But I just think 
we're all a bit guilty of it. Yeah. And I think he's maybe a bit more guilty. <laughs> okay. That's all. Fair enough. Yeah, we all we all if we can if there's a situation where we can maybe get something a, a bit more out of it by manipulating people, it doesn't have to be cruel, horrible, manipulative behavior. Mm, yeah. But we all like to get a bit more than maybe some others in some situations sometimes because we're all human. Of course. You know, and we all want what we can get. Yes, and um, you can't always get what you want, like Nick Jagger said. No, that's it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I could imagine Clarence is like in Starbucks and he's waiting in line, he jumps in the front. Hey, yeah. old man, you can't cut in line. Um, I survived the Andrea Doria. <laughs> I think most people in the Starbucks line will be like like us, like, that's a real thing. Like, yeah, like, I thought the it was. Fuck's the Andrea Doria. I, I know. I seriously <laughs> I thought it was work, made up. I think it would work to his disadvantage because he'd have to spend all this time explaining the history of the Andrea Doria and it's just like, Look, old man, just go ahead. Like, I don't <laughs> stop wasting my time. I don't give a shit. Yeah, you grifter. Yeah, <laughs> you dodgy con artist. And it would kind of work out anyway, because it'd just be like, look, I'm happy for you to jump three people in front of me to get your coffee two minutes earlier than you talk about something I don't give a shit about uh, for ten minutes. I'm getting off this sinking ship. Yeah, <laughs> that's what some people would say. <laughs> Probably. And, anyway, Mrs. Riccardi, uh, played by character actress Diana Bellamy. Uh, she's appeared in the films Critters. Critters 3, Air Force 1, that's a good one, and Outbreak. Uh, she un- unfortunately passed away as well in 2001 in Villy, uh, Valley Village, California. She was only 57, oh. too young. Uh, she began acting in puppet theatre before going into the screen. There you go. Uh, Mrs. Riccardi, yeah, so she obviously runs the tenants' board and uh, she decides who gets the apartments and who doesn't, and uh, I think it's probably just a part-time thing. Uh, I'm guessing she's probably on the cusp of retirement if she's not retired and she's just doing it as like a side thing would you say yeah um i mean in in tv shows and i've never been part of a tenants board or like a you know a communal thing to look after like a apartment complex or whatever but uh as far as i can tell they tend to be actually my friend from brisbane his dad uh his mum and dad live on the gold coast and they are retired in in an apartment at broad beach Ooh. And they're on, like, the tenant's board or whatever you call it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, he's, like, 70-odd. I think he's been doing it since he's been retired. So, it's probably a bit of a time filler for her. Yeah. Rather than some sort of, you know, passion project. or Like, I think if you're 28 working full-time, you don't give a fuck about the tenant's board. You're just like, mm. I just want to go home and scratch my ball <laughs> and watch TV. Like, you, don't, you don't give yeah. a shit about the lighting bill, you know, nah. in the hallway or, you know, <laughs> the pet policy or whatever. you just like, I just want to go home and be left alone. You just meet up for the AGM once a year and, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, shoot the breeze and see what happens. Maybe you're just yeah. like, yeah, I'll, I'll eat some free nibbles and <laughs> have a free, like, crappy tang. Yeah. <laughs> I think with Mrs. Riccardi, she barely tolerates George, mm. like barely. I think... She's friendly probably superficially, but probably doesn't like him. He probably says stupid stuff. Even when George comments, you know, thinking that he's got the apartment, you know, and he's trying to be all jovial and playful and stuff, she doesn't really go with it too well. You notice that? She's like, come and get me. You know, he's pretending he's going to run into her and stuff, and she's like, eh, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) She doesn't care. She's like, no. I think she can see through George very, very well. Yeah. Although, when she says that Clarence, the survivor, is getting the flat, or the apartment, uh, she doesn't seem too... Well, she seems a bit sympathetic about it, actually, in a way. Like, she seems very hesitant when she says it. She doesn't just go straight out, oh, guess what, you're not getting the apartment. She's very hesitant to kind of tell it to George. So I guess she kind of feels a bit remorseful about it, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I guess if she's the op- if she can sense George's, you know, who George is and doesn't sort of play his game, you can assume that her personality traits are a bit different, so maybe she actually has sympathy. Yeah. And even though she doesn't like George, she still feels bad for him because that's a natural sympathetic response. 
I'm just like, I've still got to deliver bad news to this person I'm not really into. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, it doesn't seem too out of sorts for me. No, okay. Cool. Um, <laughs> I think... Uh, I think she'd be a bit cynical towards a lot of new applicants because I'm probably I'm, I'm sure she's probably heard some tall tales and you know some seen some underhanded tactics to get an apartment like that. Yeah. Um, especially in a competitive city like in uh, like in New York where you know apartments aren't dime a dozen. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, there's probably a lot of competition and sort of questionable behavior <laughs> from people to to get what they want. Well, obviously, if it's enough to slip fifty bucks to the super, then you can basically get what you want. Alan's got the right idea. Yeah, there's not many stakes in it. If no. it was just fifty bucks, I'm just like I just gave her fifty bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny. money talks. It's money talks, and it's just so easy. Yeah, so easy it. to get what you want. That's all I had on her. Yeah, me too. Alan Mercer. Yep. Played by actor and producer Tom Gallup. He's appeared in the films The Bourne Ultimatum and The Bourne Supremacy, and he's been in the TV show Will and Grace. So uh, yeah, Alan. Uh, he just says it like it is, and he's according to Elaine a bad breaker upera. Basically tells him, you know, she's got to, tells Elaine she's got a big head, or if she doesn't, if he doesn't like, you know, he, he if he doesn't take breakups too well, he just basically says it like it is. Yeah, I, I think he's just a big child. A big child, I think so too. He doesn't. Yeah. I think he was spoiled, probably an only child, mm. uh, very spoiled. Um, I was an only child too, and I wasn't spoiled, so I'm not saying you're all spoiled. No, one no. child is. Um, but, but yeah, there is a link. Absolutely, probably grew up. I'm guessing in like an upper middle class family. Basically, got what he wanted all the time. Hates rejection, or maybe something so crippling happened in his early years that his fear of rejection just spiked. Maybe, and you know, he doesn't like not getting what he wants as well. Um, yeah, basically, and and it's funny too because the responses or the retorts he gives them when they his exes when they break up are really juvenile things like big head you know yeah that's like reminds, a real juvenile it reminds me of primary school behavior yeah exactly his, primary his, school. He's, his, he's a big kid he's a man child yeah his, his way of dealing with it is basically takes one to no one yeah or i know you are you said you are but what am i exactly it's yeah, just yeah. it's just it's just illogical child's bullshit yeah yeah it, extremely mature and it, it's interesting because at first when alan does call you know when, when we see elaine's ex-girlfriend pour spill the coffee or throw the coffee in his face and then he calls Elaine Big Head. It's not the actual name that he says. For some reason, he's able to kind of psychologically manipulate his exes to mm. make sure that even though it's just Big Head, like with Elaine, Elaine at first it doesn't really get to her, but then slowly when people start noticing her Big Head, it really gets to her. What do you think he called his ex? Mm. or who, like The first ex who stabbed him, obviously pretty serious shit, and the one who threw coffee in his face obviously two exes obviously the one being stabbed was probably a real serious name no. or maybe she was just unstable and just well, stabbed maybe, him what do you what do you think of that well i think his tactics would be the same i don't think he would have leveled a devastating comment no. at the ex who stabbed him and you know it, it sort of caused a retaliation that was way more extreme than say Elaine's or someone else's. Yeah, she just maybe, got she just reacted really poorly or really yeah, too probably too much to m- it. Maybe the insult was like, you know, big toes or, you know, tiny arms or like just something completely innocuous. Yeah. But maybe uh, you know, cuz Elaine that would slowly drive you insane and and it would make you paranoid. Oh yeah. You know, when someone just says something initially you just go, "What big head? Like what what's that? That's nothing." <laughs> and then 3 days later a bird flies into your head and you know, like or the all the cabbie these... is telling you to put your head down cuz yeah, you can't it, see out the back. When it when it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, yeah. You'd start to get a bit paranoid mm-hmm. and it would just be a feedback loop. It would just be like, "Oh my god, I do have a big head." And then you'd be looking for everything that 
is happening because of your big head. It would just be constant confirmation bias. Yeah. And I think you would just devolve into this weird paranoid state. And I could understand if you don't check it, like Elaine does. She's like, oh, hang on, this is bullshit. I'm going to take the power back and laugh in his face. Yeah. You know, and then maybe, she ends up stabbing him in the, yeah, the fork in the, the fork, fork in the head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but maybe his ex-girlfriend who stabbed him wasn't as sort of self-aware as Elaine and didn't yeah. have as much self-esteem because Elaine's like, hang on, this is this is getting control of my life. I don't want this. No, I want to no. take its power away. So I'm going to, you know, take the power back. Maybe his ex wasn't that confident or didn't have that sort of skill. And it just, he said something small and insignificant and it just slowly <laughs> developed into a paranoid you know, psychotic state and she stabbed him. Yeah. Know, but it might have been something as small as like tiny hands or something <laughs> stupid. Tiny hands would be Trump, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't have tiny hands. They're the biggest hands in America. The biggest, they're the greatest hands. They're the greatest hands. I'm off to Marilago. They're terrific Asian hands. Gulf. <laughs> yes. I know. <laughs> the reason Take why they're so hands. small is because I'm signing so many bills. <laughs> so many, so yeah. many executive orders. Yes. They're executive. All the all the all the muscle structure is gone because I've been signing so many things. <laughs> yes. So imagine if Alan was dating Trump, he'd call him tiny hands. <laughs> I don't think it would bother Trump. <laughs> Probably not. No. I'm not sure. He's been called worse. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So Alan, I guess overall, big man child, doesn't like when things don't go his way, mm. and uh, well, you think that the replies or what he's going to call people are like really vulgar and explicit. But it's just real childish names, yeah. like big head and big ears and stuff. I think he realizes that we've all got a bunch of like really small hangups that don't affect our day to day lives. They don't like. I've got a few. If I look at myself in the mirror, I could probably like write a list of like little def- what I think are defects of like oh, I don't like this and I wish this was different. But it doesn't make me not get out of bed in the morning and live my life. It's yeah. just small little list of things that we've all got. So maybe he realizes that by playing on that by just like a tiny little jab rather than a horrible vicious diatribe of insults is kind of it's almost like psychological warfare in a way yeah and it's a bit more subtle and underhanded than something horrible and personal yeah and i think he wants the last laugh as well he kind of really wants to get under his ex's skins yeah it's more of a case of like i'm gonna rather than make you cry i'm gonna just like subtly fuck with you yes yes you know yeah um yeah and i think he does that intentionally he's manipulating yeah for sure absolutely uh Uh, now i've got some hat on him yeah and i've got just some notes on smuckers Uh, he's played by lassie no just kidding um so smuckers is uh i put this out on instagram and twitter uh during the week and i wasn't sure which breed of dog smuckers might have been but i've got a few comments uh we got a few comments on our socials uh most people have said it's probably a Labrador Retriever, most likely. Um, so Smuckers, uh, Leah, likely to be that breed. So thanks very much for uh, giving your uh, your ideas. Um, I think Smuckers probably could have been suffering from what's called kennel cough. Um, so I googled what kennel cough was, and it's a condition usually developed when a dog has been boarded recently, or the big giveaway from this is if they've been in contact with a large number of other dogs. Oh, so you okay. notice how Smuckers is with like four or five other dogs mm-hmm. with the dog walker. Mm-hmm. So maybe he contracted it from there. Yep. Yeah, possibly. Okay. Yeah, most likely. Um, it's a deep hacking cough, like in the episode, and uh, it gets worse with exertion, and it can be either a viral or bacterial infection. Uh, for some breeds, uh, coughing can be seen as a sign of a worsening condition. Uh, for example, a Cavalier King Charles Spaniels, 
are they prone to heart disease? And usually coughing is the first sign that their heart condition is getting worse. Oh. Yeah, there you go. And uh, luckily, most coughing problems can be treated if managed early by a veterinarian. Which, Do dog uh, coughs sound like human coughs? Uh, sort of. But was, it was like a deep kind of cough. Oh, it sounded like, it sounded just like, I think it was just a human, I think it was cough, a human cough dubbed over. Dubbed over, dubbed over. Yeah, I was thinking that's what as well, because I, yeah. I was watching the dog cough and I'm like, that's really good special effects, not only for 1996, but also for television. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, because... Coughing the, in time the, with Smuckers. Yeah, coughing, and yeah, I was yeah. just... And just the mouth movement. But then I realised what they've done is... I think they've just put a camera on the dog and made it bark. And then, like, uh, dubbed the, the cough over the barking mouth movements. Although it did look like a cough, though. It but did look you, like a bark. But if you imagine a bark... If you if you watch it with no volume and then you imagine a bark over it, it's definitely a bark. Oh, it's definitely a bark? Yeah. Okay. Because, oh. I mean, you think of a, bar, a dog yeah. bark and a cough. They're both, like, short, sharp, loud sound bursts out of a mouth like you know i won't do them so i imagine i imagine a dog cough and a dog bark mouth wise would look very similar okay so okay. that's what i think they've done because oh, it looks cool. it looks like it's not like a loud bark where you know the yeah i did, that's what i think they've done correct you're, me yeah. if i'm wrong but no you're absolutely right I, th- I think that's what they did and you're right it's really well done i think smuckers is probably my favorite animal on seinfeld ever okay uh or at least the favorite one that we've done so far. Uh, you know, we've talked about little Jerry, and we've talked about uh, who else? Uh, Fredo. Fredo, uh, the parrot, and also Farful the dog. Yep. Uh, we haven't done Rusty the horse yet. I'm looking forward to Rusty. I think Rusty will probably knock knock Smuckers off. But I love Smuckers. He's such an adorable dog. Smuckers is cool. Do you think Smuckers became okay after he took his pills? Well, yeah. they're meant to be Kramer's pills. Do you think Kramer slipped him some pills as well? Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, we always talk about how Kramer's got the biggest heart. Um, and I don't think he was just using Smuckers, uh, Smuckers, Smuckers, <laughs> Smuckers to get medication for himself. Yeah. I think, you know, he was using Smuckers in a way, but I think he also would have, um, yeah, given him what he needed. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I love Smuckers. Yeah, Smuckers is cool. It's a cute dog. It's a cool name. Yeah, I love it, Smuckers. Smuckers. <laughs> well, aren't Smuckers uh, American, like, candy or something? Smuckers? Maybe. I think so. Probably. I think they all smack, all lip smackers or smuckers. smuckers or, I'm not sure. Well, they're Snickers chocolates. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but smuckers is probably something. Hey, if you're in the US, we did have a listener tell us last week about Chips Ahoy and uh, York Peppermint things. And uh, uh, Philadelphia cheesesteaks. Yes, thank you, Jace. Uh, his name was. Uh, yeah, tell us. Do they exist? Smuckers. What are they? I think they do. Yeah. Okay, cool. What do what do Americans call marshmallows on over a fire? Oh, graham crackers. Oh, uh, uh, s'mores. S'mores, but, but okay. They're, but they're marshmallows on top of graham crackers with chocolate sauce. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're right. like a, yeah. I thought that was just their name for marshmallows on a stick over a campfire. I don't believe so, but oh. no, s'mores is like the... It's like a sandwich, marshmallow sandwich. Okay. So after the break, we're going to find out where the Andrea Doria sits in our Seinfeld episodes that we've ranked, and if any of the secondary characters we've talked about are in our top 20 secondaries of all time. I was handcuffed to the bed in my underwear, (laughs) where I remained for... She certainly seemed interested in me. Though she was attractive, she was also, in fact, a Nazi. The water I had been swimming in was very cold. And when I dropped the towel, there had been significant shrinkage. (laughs) My parents were looking at me. So there I was. (laughs) With a marble rye hanging from the end of a fishing pole. In closing, these stories have not been embellished because they need no embellishment. They are simply, horrifyingly, the story of my life as a short, stocky, slow-witted, bald man. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, also, my fiancé died from licking toxic envelopes that I picked out. 
Thanks again. Okay, where does the Andrew Doria sit on the list of episodes we've reviewed so far? Well, Stephen, funny you ask. Um, out of the 86 episodes that we've done, uh, the Andrew Doria for me is number 39. Okay. Uh, enjoyable episode. Uh, you said in the car on the way over it was very underrated. Uh, a season 8 episode and I have to agree uh, yeah a lot of laugh out loud moments uh, I love the Smuckers Kramer subplot and how Kramer slowly becomes a dog very season 8 and 9 and I love it um, yeah and I think that I, I mentioned at the start of the episode that George when he's talking about his life story and it cuts there's all those edits uh, and different angles of him talking about different parts of the story and how it fades in and stuff I think it's very well shot it's probably one of the most well shot uh, scenes in Seinfeld yeah, it was almost, uh, I guess, movie quality. Oh, absolutely. I think it was a rip-off of a movie. I forgot which one. Probably, yeah. yeah. If you know the movie, let us know, but I'm pretty sure it was a takeoff of a film as well yep. when someone recounts their story. Yep. Yeah, and everyone starts crying. Yeah. <laughs> but this is more, uh, it's actually weirder and funnier. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what about you? Uh, it appears at number 51. Okay, great. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, kind of the same as you. Um, really liked it. Nothing really stood out to me as amazing. Um, it was all just really solid. I don't think there was any duds. No, no. Oh, dud, but uh, dud parts the dud of the parts. episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was all just like mostly above average. Okay. Um, but yeah, still really good. Nice. Um, the Kramer turning into a dog on. If I read that on paper, I'd be like, oh, that's a bit dumb. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the way they did it was hilarious. It was funny. I, my one of my favorite parts was when um Jerry's trying to feed Kramer the pill yeah. <laughs> like a dog. Yeah. You can and actually he spits hear it back up. you can actually hear the audience reactions to it. Yeah. They're loving it. Yeah, yeah. It's great. No, there's some good physical comedy. Yeah. And uh Kramer surprisingly pulls off a dog very well. He does. He's a great dog. Yeah, he's a good good method actor. <laughs> Bad neighbor. Bad. <laughs> yeah. Jerry calls him. Anyway, do any of today's secondaries make your top 20? Nah. Nah, unfortunately not. And none of them would have even have come close to my 20, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. nothing yeah. really memorable. No. Um, I mean, if I had to pick a favourite, it would probably be um, Alan. Yeah, I guess because he was probably the most memorable. I mean, he was the main secondary character and he was the most memorable. Yeah, yeah, um, true. You know, Clarence or Riccardi or... Oh, actually, no, I'd pick Smuckers. What actually, Smuckers, yeah, yeah, he's a dog. yeah, yeah, Smuckers. Dogs yeah, are better than people. Of so. course they are, you know. Smuckers was my favourite, actually. Yeah, but yep. my favourite human uh, secondary was Alan. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yep. Anyway, so that was the Andrea Doria, and uh, we've got one very nice message that we received as part of Listener Mail last week, and uh, we're going to read that out to you. When you control the mail, you control information. This message was from Holly. She's from London, Ontario in Canada and uh, Holly is also our latest patron. So uh, patreon.com forward slash bidwabask is where you can uh, find out more about our page. So thank you very much Holly for the message that I'm about to read and also being a patron. It's wonderful. Uh, she says, hi guys, greetings Stephen, Ivan and Stacy. And uh, Stephen, when I told Stacy about this message, she was in raptures. So uh, Holly, unfortunately, uh, we did say last week that Stacy would be with us, but uh, unfortunately she couldn't make it uh, but Stacy gives her regards to you Holly uh, for the message and she's grateful you included her but uh, she will be joining us in a week or two um, and I'll give her an awkward nudge Please. to make sure she thanks you yeah. like you know when a you know when a kid <laughs> receives like a, a present from their auntie or whatever and they're like they just get it and the mum's like say thank you say thank and they're you. just like Thank you. That's really like a nudge of like thank auntie Doria yeah thank Holly <laughs> yeah, thank and Holly and they're just like Thank you. No, I'm pretty sure she'd be more enthusiastic I know, than I that. Know, I know. Um, anyway, so Holly has actually been listening to all of our episodes out of order. Uh, she's listened to the What's the Deal with episodes first, followed by our Season 10 episodes. Check those out if you haven't. And she's watching uh, each... She's actually listening to each season not in order as well of our pods. 
crazy. So she started with season seven, and now she's going to season nine, season three, and then season four, and she's just listened to our latest episode as well. And obviously, because she's on Patreon, she gets to listen to this one when it drops Yep, this week, uh, and next week for everyone else. Um, she's just finishing season four. Um, we mentioned in a What's the Deal With episode about possibly talking about the NBC staffers. Uh, we had a chat about that before, and I'm pretty sure we covered uh, Stephen Russell and Rita in our the pilot episode. Yep. And I think we're going to talk about the other ones. I think we'll do the pitch eventually, but we'll talk about the other two, Stu and Jay. Yep. Uh, we'll probably do them in a, uh, like, uh, the pitch. So, yeah, probably, Holly, we thought about it and we probably thought, no, nah, maybe we won't do a what's the deal because I don't think we'll get enough information. And I think we would have explained enough about, well, at least Russell and Rita anyway. And I think we can get enough out of Stu and Jay for the pilot episode. But thanks for the suggestion, Holly. Much appreciated. Um, she also has a bit of a trivia fact about the Czechs episode. Uh, the female executive, Miss Yoshimura, um, you know, the, the executives uh, in the Czechs, she actually wears the same outfit that Susan wore in The Virgin. Oh. There you go. Nice trivia fact. Hmm. Yes. We didn't that up. Uh, yes. And uh, she goes, I love you guys. I love Stacey. And I don't want to be a secondary character. And she's got her brother listening to this podcast as well. Oh. So very nice. Thank you so much, Holly, and Holly's brother as well. Uh, she also says she loves how we talked about uh, growing up in London, and we mentioned her city, London, Ontario, Canada, in the episode, the Bubby Butt episode, when we talked about Brian George. Big ups to London. Big ups. So thank you very much, Holly. That was really nice to get. Thank you so much. And uh, if you want to send a message of your own, you can find us on social media at B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. You can also send us an email, bidwabasspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we are getting some more messages and uh, emails and stuff lately, which is really wonderful. And uh, we're loving the fact that you're getting in touch with us. It means a lot to us, really does. Indeed it does. Uh, yeah, so if you want to say hello or any get in touch with us for any reason, uh, we like Ivan said, we love it. Yes, my name's Ivan. And I'm Stephen. And next week we are staying with Season 8 and we're talking about Season, or Episode 18 rather, The Nap, uh, which will be a fun one. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that one. I think this is my uh, choice. So until next week, we'll, uh, we'll see you then. All right, see ya. See ya.